Today on Let the Bible Speak. Christ Jesus established His church, but why? What was His purpose for the church, and what should its business be today? Good morning. The Church of Christ was planned by God, founded by Christ, revealed by the Holy Spirit through the apostles, and has been sustained through time by the power and the Word of God. But why is it here? What was God's purpose for the church? For the past seven weeks, we've been in a series about the church as we read of it in the New Testament. We've talked about its origin, its form, its government, its membership, its doctrine, its worship, and last week, its identity. Today, its mission, and its work. Reading now from Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 10 and 11. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the church of Christ is the collection of saved people in Christ. But as we have seen in our series, the Lord has organized those He has called apart from the world into local assemblies of believers to function together as a body. We noted a few weeks ago that this was in part for the edification and strengthening of those Christians, but were there other reasons for their existence as a congregation? What is the church here for? That's a question we need to ask. What should we be in the business of doing as a collective body if we are following the example and pattern of the church spoken of in the New Testament. Well, that will be our study today, and it's a very important one, so I hope you'll remain with me for just a little while as we look at the purpose of the New Testament church after a song. Oh 
The church of Christ was conceived in the mind of God from the foundation of the world, and in the fullness of time it was begun in this world by His Son Christ Jesus. It was not an accident, nor was it an afterthought. In fact, there has never been a time when it was not planned and anticipated by God. But why? What is His purpose for such an institution? Surely if He planned it, and in time revealed it to mankind, then it has a divinely appointed purpose. It's not ours to do with as we see fit, it is God's, and it is here to satisfy His objectives. It should not be a surprise, since God is a spirit, and the church is made up of those who are in a spiritual relationship, that the church's purpose would be ultimately spiritual in nature. The church is not here to fulfill the physical appetites and desires of mankind. For Paul told the Romans in chapter 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The real reason the kingdom of heaven exists on earth is to provide for the spiritual needs of mankind, which are the most important of all. The church is not here to entertain people. And though Christians are taught and even commanded to be compassionate and benevolent, and though the church has specifically been charged with caring for its own needy saints, the real mission of the corporate body of Christ is spiritual in nature. We're not here to build great organizations, to operate as a business or enterprise. We're not here to make money, to provide fitness and recreation, or to run the civil government and its affairs. The church, as we read about it in the New Testament, was on a spiritual mission to expand the kingdom rule of Christ in the hearts of people to the four corners of the earth. And if we forget that, we have forgotten what the church in the Bible was all about, and thus what we are to be about. Let us know several things that pertain to this spiritual purpose for the church's existence. First, everything pertaining to the mission and work of the church is to bring glory to God. The church is not here to glorify and promote itself. It is not here to make its members rich, powerful, or to elevate them in the ranks of society. It is not here to be used by people for their own gain and their own selfish purposes. As is the case with everything God does and everything God has created, it is here to glorify God through Jesus Christ. And every function of the church is to have that as its ultimate aim. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. You see, the church is the fruit of God's scheme of redemption. It is not auxiliary to God's overall plan or His mission, His program. It is the result of God's program. If you go back several verses to verses 9 to 11, Paul says that his mission as an apostle was to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let's ask the question, why did Jesus come into the world? What was God's purpose in sending Jesus? Well, on one occasion, Jesus said that He came to bear witness to the truth. Uh, he came to reveal the invisible God to us. He said in Luke 19 and verse 10 that the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. He came to reconcile the lost to God. 
He came to reverse the Adamic curse by defeating death and ensuring eternal life. Now, yes, Jesus healed the sick, and Jesus cared about the physical plight of the suffering, no doubt about that. But His miracles served an even greater and overarching purpose, and that is to point people to the truth that He came to preach, which has the power to save our eternal souls. One time you may recall Jesus healed a paralytic who was brought to Him, and you may remember when those who brought Him to Jesus, they found Him in a house that was packed with people, and so they climbed up on top of the roof, they tore a hole in the rooftop, and they lowered the man down to the feet of Jesus. The first thing Jesus said to him, surprisingly, was, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Have you wondered why didn't Jesus first heal him? His condition was obvious. Well, friend, because the man's sins were of greater concern than his physical plight. Many people don't understand that even today. Many people in religion don't understand that. Jesus, you see, first forgave the man's sins and then said to the skeptical people standing about, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, then he said to the paralytic, take up your bed and walk. You see, the miracle was really just an evidence of what Jesus truly came to do, and that was to meet the spiritual needs of man and to save us from our sins. Everything else is in vain if we lose our eternal souls, if we don't have fellowship and reconciliation with God, and if we don't possess eternal life. The Hebrew writer later said that Christ first spoke of the great salvation, which was then later preached by His apostles, who were the beginning and foundation of the church. And he says that miracles, the miracles that even the apostles had the power to perform, were to bear witness to the gospel they were preaching. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. So Christ's real mission and reason for coming to earth was spiritual in nature. Thus, His apostles' mission was also to be spiritual in nature. He told them before He went back to glory to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And then he goes on to show that the miracles the apostles would be empowered to perform would simply confirm the truth of what they were preaching. Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. So now it becomes evident why Paul in Ephesians 3 said that his purpose as an apostle was to make all men see the fellowship of this mystery. In other words, to now see what God had been planning all along and had now revealed in Christ, and that is the salvation of the world, Jew and Gentile, all nations, the salvation of the world from sin and reconciliation of the lost world to himself. Now then Paul said that these divine truths are made evident by the church. In other words, the church is the plain manifestation of what God had purposed to do from the beginning of time, and that is to redeem the fallen race. When you see the church, as the church exists in the world, as God designed the church, we are seeing the fruition of God's plan through the ages and His purpose. Now, the very reason for the church's existence is spiritual in nature. And Paul concludes that chapter, chapter 3, by saying that glory comes to God through the church, through the work of His Son in the church. So the church exists to glorify God. And therefore, the church should concern herself only with those things that God has commanded her to do. And when we fulfill those divine purposes, God is exalted and God is glorified.
Well, what does this spiritual mission include? Well, first, the church exists to preach the gospel. Let us never forget that. The church is to be an evangelistic people. We are to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, and risen again, and now reigning as the anointed one of God. It is to spread that sublime message to the farthest reaches of the earth. You may recall when Paul and Barnabas were preaching in the synagogue in Antioch, they defended their preaching to the Gentiles by quoting the prophet Isaiah. Acts chapter 13 verses 46 through 49 says, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you, speaking to the Jewish leaders, but since you rejected and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Listen now, for so the Lord has commanded us. Then he quotes from Isaiah, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, that was Christ's mission, according to Isaiah. And by extension, it is the mission of the people of Christ to spread salvation throughout the earth by preaching the message of Christ and the salvation of Christ. And the Bible says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. You see what the church was busying itself doing? You see what the church was in the business of doing? The New Testament church was in the business of taking the gospel of salvation and eternal life to the world. Just days before he established the church, Jesus told his apostles in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47 says, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Listen, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now folks, if the church is not preaching repentance, if the world, or if the church rather, is not calling the world around it to repentance, and not preaching the remission of sins through Jesus Christ. The church is not doing what it was planted here to do. I contend that preaching the gospel is one of the primary reasons the church exists in this world. And when the energy and attention of anyone claiming to be the church of the New Testament shifts to other endeavors and other pursuits, something is terribly wrong. And I want us to be reminded that politics may shape a community or society, but they don't save souls from sin. Salvation is not a matter of political affiliation, political belief, legislation. Salvation is a matter of the heart and cannot be legislated from a state or national capital. Salvation is the gospel being preached, heard, believed, and obeyed, which then transforms the heart and then truly reforms a person's behavior. Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Listen now, holding fast the word of life. That phrase, holding fast, in other translations is holding forth. And the Greek word means to offer or hold it out to others. You see, that was the posture of the New Testament church, and that should be the ever 
standing posture and primary work and concern of the church today. And then the purpose of the church is to spiritually strengthen its membership. The church is to edify itself, and the word edify means to build up. Now God designed the local church to be the means of spiritually building up its membership. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, now that's talking about the congregation, the church, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working of which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That's God's design for the church. Now, edification primarily comes from teaching the Word of God. Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Teaching the Word builds us up spiritually. That's the primary function of the church, to not only preach the gospel to the outside world, but to teach the Word of God to the church within, to strengthen it, to establish it, to cause it to remain faithful and be strong in the Lord. Yes, you could say that association, social association is a way of encouraging and building one another up. I don't deny that. And I think Christians should socially spend time together. I'm not opposed to individuals eating together and playing together and visiting together. That's all wonderful. But that's not the emphasis of the early church. The emphasis of the New Testament church was feeding on the Word of God and drinking the water of life. Jesus, speaking of His teachings in John 6 during His ministry, said that when we eat that food as opposed to mere physical food, it will result in eternal life. You eat physical food and you're going to hunger again, but if you eat His flesh and drink His blood, you'll have eternal life. That's talking about imbibing His teaching, feeding upon His Word, being His disciple. And then the church is here to worship God. A few weeks ago we showed that the assemblies of the early church involved activities that constituted the worship of God together. For example, the church is to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Ephesians 5 and verse 19. And psalms and hymns in particular involve praise to God. The church of the New Testament regularly assembled to worship God together and to build one another up, and that should be the purpose of our gatherings today. The church is not in the business of entertainment. You might wonder with much of what you see going on in religion today, but never do we find the church of the New Testament in the business of providing entertainment to people. And then another purpose of the church is to preserve and guard the faith. Paul told the younger preacher Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church exists to not only proclaim and spread the truth, but to buttress and uphold it, to carefully guard it. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these. Well, that implies a, 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 safe, a, a, a safekeeping, an entrusting. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 1 Timothy 6 
verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it some have strayed concerning the faith. You see, the church is designed to not only believe and practice the faith, but to closely guard and defend it and to pass it down. Listen to Jude. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. That phrase, delivered to the saints, indicates that the church is the uh, repository of the faith and the church has been entrusted with the faith. We are stewards of the faith. And he says that means we are to contend for the faith. Sometimes churches must engage in controversy. We don't like controversy, but sometimes we have to stand up and we have to fight for what is right. You know, churches where just about anything goes or churches that change their message and their convictions with the changing times, they're not doing what Christ charged us with doing, and that is guarding the faith as it was originally revealed and given to us. That truth does not change. It is not negotiable with the world and its changing standards. The purpose of the church in every age is to guard and preserve the faith, and it does so by first not trying to change what the faith says, and second, by contending for that faith and guarding it against the attacks of gainsayers and change agents and apostates. The truth, you see, is a sacred trust. Finally, another purpose of the church is to be salt and light in a corrupt and dark world. Jesus famously preached, You are the light of the world and the salt of the earth in His Sermon on the Mount. Salt is a preservative. Light obviously dispels darkness. Well, of course, darkness really is just the absence of light. So when the church fails to be a light, the community where it exists sits in darkness. The church is to be a lighthouse of saving truth and godly witness. We are to draw men and women away from the rocks of shipwreck and eternal ruin and into the safe harbor of salvation. And one of the ways we do so is by living pure and godly lives before the world. We uphold the faith by exemplifying the faith, not by force, not by political power or influence, not by gimmicks, not by showmanship. We uphold the faith by preaching the faith, defending the faith, and practicing and living the faith. And all three are necessary if we are to be the light God intends the church to be and the preserving salt of a morally and spiritually rotting and decaying world. Many years ago, on a dark stormy night on the Great Lakes, a ship was in great peril. It was near a harbor, but it couldn't see the entrance because the lower lights along the shore had gone out in the storm. The ship was lost on the rocks in a terrible disaster. And Philip Bliss was then moved to write the immortal song, Brightly beams our Father's mercy from the lighthouse evermore, but to us He gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. So let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the wave. Some poor, fainting, struggling seaman you may rescue, you may save. Friend, these wonderful and worthy objectives are accomplished to the local church when it stays true to its mission. We read of no larger organizations being founded. We don't read of the church becoming involved in other pursuits and enterprises. And I think people are tired of the gimmickry and the politics and the profiteering. Rather, let the church simply be the church as it was in the New Testament, and Christ will be glorified.
We're nearing the end of our series on the New Testament church. Lord willing, we'll conclude it next week with a lesson about the future of the New Testament church. So be sure to join us for that. If you'd like a free printed transcript of today's lesson, ask for the purpose of the New Testament church. The purpose of the New Testament church and that free copy will be on its way as soon as we can get it to you. We're online at ltbstv.org, on social media. Especially be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and share our content and connect with us online. We hope that you'll join us back here next time if God is willing for another Bible study. Have a great week ahead. Encourage someone else to join us next time as well. And Lord willing, we'll see you then. Have a great week. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.